I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Before I start our conversation, I want to acknowledge the mass shooting at a Colorado grocery store where 10 people died yesterday, including one police officer. That shooting comes only a week after the Atlanta mass shootings that targeted three Asian-owned spas in the metro area and left eight people dead. Six of those killed were Asian women, four were of Korean descent, and two are believed to be of Chinese descent. Last week's events have sparked demonstrations and conversations around anti-Asian hate and violence across the country and prompted Congress to hold a hearing on anti-Asian hate. We've heard in the past 24 hours many describe anti-Asian discrimination and racial violence as un-American. Unfortunately, it is very American. That's Erica Lee speaking at the hearing last week. She is the Regents Professor of History and Asian American Studies at the University of Minnesota. She joins us now to discuss. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. We've been living with the news of these shootings that took place in Atlanta for about a week now. So I want you to take me back to last week. What was your gut reaction when you realized this wasn't just a mass shooting, but a mass shooting that was targeting Asian businesses and Asian women? Horror, of course. Sadness, frustration, fear, but also a feeling that one's worst expectations had come true. You know, this is following a year, if not more, of anti-Asian violence, hate, racism, oftentimes led and promoted by some of our leaders in highest office in the land. And so for those of us who, who live with this and who follow this, it's been a long year. And this pit in our stomachs that began even before the virus came to the United States, just, you know, just fell even deeper Mm -hmm. into this well of despair last week, to be honest. Yeah, you mentioned the rise, of course, throughout this pandemic. How have you dealt with all of it? Oh, Sasha, that's a really, (laughs) really hard question. I mean, you know, we, we all get up and then we do our jobs. We're, we're talking to folks like you who are asking. We're teaching our students. We're, we're trying to, to educate those who have never heard about anti-Asian racism. We're trying to educate those who would deflect that this is actually happening. We saw this. We heard this during the congressional hearings last week. Those hearings were the, only the second time in U.S. history that Congress has paid attention to this issue in terms of of hearings before the House Judiciary Committee. And, you know, this is what we need to do. But it's frustrating because most of us, most Americans really should know this history, should should recognize this as the racism that it is already in 2021. You would think so, but that's not of course, always the case. Now, in your testimony, Erica, at that House committee hearing, you laid out examples of the long history of racism and discrimination against Asian communities here. Walk us through some of the key moments in history that you think led us to where we are today. Yeah, it's it's challenging to do this in just a few minutes because, you know, it is an example of this really long and and deep-rooted history. So, you know, one of the very first things I think it's important to understand is that while Asian Americans might be considered the quote-unquote model minority today, a stereotype that is false and misleading, 
for most of our history in the United States, we were considered racially inferior, unfit for U.S. citizenship, placed along the same lines and hierarchy as African-Americans and American Indians, so barred from becoming naturalized citizens, just like those groups, prohibited from owning or leasing land, prohibited from marrying whites in some states, or serving on juries where the defendant was white, subjected to social and residential segregation. All of the systemic you know, racism allowed stereotypes, prejudice, and vigilante violence to, to spread. So the largest mass lynching in U.S. history targeted Chinese men in L.A. in 1871. We've got legalized racism in the form of our immigration policies that first bar Chinese immigrant women because lawmakers believe they're prostitutes or potential prostitutes. And then by the 1930s, all other Asian groups are also barred from entering the United States or from becoming naturalized citizens. The incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, of course, is is one example that many Americans have heard about. It's interesting that you you bring up the um, largest mass U.S. lynching. Uh, if, If I Google that, the first result that actually comes up is the 1891 New Orleans lynchings of 11 Italian-Americans. But as you noted, Mm -hmm. the largest was the one of the Chinese immigrant men back in 1871. Why the discrepancy, you think? It's part of the problem that we're discussing here, that Asian-American history, deep-rooted, long in the United States, substantial and and incredibly important, is just not being taught in our schools. It's being either willfully ignored as something that's tangential, something that is seen as just an add-on when teachers might have time. Mm -hmm. Um, I often think that, you know, when we're talking about race, the go-to is to consider the African-American experience, and then Americans seemingly have no time, you know, to, to think about the other histories of racism. And when we think about immigration, we're often focused on Latinx immigration and also have no time to think about how immigration policies, unequal immigration policies, have affected other groups. When you think about your own experience as an Asian American woman, what comes to mind, Erica? You know, (laughs) we are taught at a very young age to understand, at least this was the case in my family, one of my very first lessons from my parents was you have two strikes against you already in this country. You are Asian and you are female. So what that does is, first of all, prepare you, you know, for, I think, a a life of racism and sexism. But it also highlights a sense of needing to do better to overcome those issues in ways that, you know, can be rather damaging. So smile all the time. Be polite. Don't make a fuss. Work harder than anybody else. You know, these are limitations that I think that many Asian Americans and Asian American women in general have have been facing for our entire lives in the United States. You know, in your testimony, you talked about how the government is a part of this long-standing problem. With that in mind, 
What do you make of the Biden administration's response to this surge? What are some ways that you think can address the root cause of this long history of racism? Well, first of all, like so many of the executive actions that he's taken in the early weeks of his administration, the proclamation condemning anti-Asian racism and xenophobia was incredibly important. I believe that no other president has has taken such a strong stand as the racism was unfolding. But at the same time, you know, my remark, the, the one that you played earlier, how many lawmakers are saying that this is un-American, this racism is not who we are. I didn't want to name President Biden in the congressional <laughs> hearings, but he is who I was thinking of. You know, He says um, that a lot. This is... It's damaging. It's damaging framing because our history shows otherwise. And I did note that when both he and Vice President Harris went to Atlanta, the vice president took a stronger stand and said racism is real and always has been. Xenophobia is real and always has been sexism, too. That's Erica Lee, Regents Professor of History and Asian American Studies and Director of the Immigration History Research Center at the University of Minnesota. Erica, thanks for breaking that down for us. You're welcome. Now, I want to bring two other voices to this conversation. Joining us now is Karen Korematsu, founder and executive director of the Fred T. Korematsu Institute. Karen, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Also with us is Sangyan Choimoro, Executive Director of the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. Hi, Sangyan. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. You've both been listening to this conversation so far. Karen, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to what we just heard from Erica? Well, Erica is, is uh, definitely uh, spot on as far as her remarks and analysis of what's going on now. And, you know, she has, as a scholar, written about this history, Asian American history. And one thing that Erica just mentioned that I want to to emphasize is that Asian American history has not been taught in the schools. And since the Fred Korematsu Institute focuses on K-12 and K-16 education, this is something that I'm working on now is to have Asian American history in the schools and also, more importantly, to emphasize ethnic studies. Sangyan, I'm going to ask you what I asked Erica as well. Your experience, what's that been like as an Asian American woman? Especially um, resonate with what Erica said about, you know, being Asian American and women and what's expected of us. And I think that's really the narrative that I'm trying to break here because I, you know, I've experienced a lot of and encountered a lot of racially based sexual harassment when I first came to the United States when I was 18. And people targeted me because I was Korean. And they would even say, like, are you Korean? And then we'll talk about the military service in Korea and how much they love our country and how much they love our food and how much most of all love our women and then would say something really inappropriate to me. And so, you know, it's not that those things don't occur anymore. It's more, I've learned ways to avoid those encounters. Mm -hmm. So now the harassment I get is, oh, you know, you should smile a little. Asian women look so much better when they smile and, you know, just stuff like that. When I walk with more of a, you know, serious face and I don't really make eye contact, you know, on the streets. So, or in, in polite company, like, 
the politer version of it is people find me intimidating because I don't smile as much. And I don't, you know, I don't placate and play into these stereotypes about Asian American women that we've so long been told we need to be in order to survive as well as being perpetuated on us by dominant culture. Can you talk a bit more uh, about that, Sonia, and talk about how women of color are are fetishized and how misogyny and and racism are, are linked, particularly when you're talking about violence? That's right. I mean, women of color, not just Asian American women, but women of color in this country are hypersexualized and fetishized. And really, misogyny has told men that we are for their consumption at their pleasure and at their demand, right? And the Asian American context of it is really from the history of all the way back from 1875, where the Page Act was passed and it was passed because they wanted to banned East Asian women coming to the United States because we were all seen to want to be prostitutes, right? And so off the bat, that's how they viewed our mothers and sisters and daughters, right? And moving forward into Second World War and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and the like, there's a lot of that militarization of our countries have increased that demand and the normalization of how Asian women body is seen as something that they can have when they want it. I myself am Korean and our hometown did have a military base. And that was really my experience of the military personnel that, you know, the, the soldiers that lived at that base. And so I think that carries out even here in the United States. Karen, your father, civil rights icon Fred Korematsu, he was detained for refusing orders to be sent to an internment camp that was set up for U.S. residents of Japanese ancestry. Can you briefly fill in the blanks for us there, Karen? What can we learn from his story, and what do you think he would think of today's America? Well, at the time during uh, World War II, you know, some of the backstory was agriculture, and the Japanese and Japanese Americans were doing so well. There was an outcry from other uh, Caucasian, you know, white farmers that they're taking away our, our, our land and our jobs, you know, kind of the same old story, right? And so when Executive Order 9066 was issued on February 19th, 1942, you know, my father thought this was wrong. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't complicated. Uh, at the time, all due process of law was denied and anyone of, of Japanese ancestry of 120,000, two-thirds were American citizens, mind you, were then stripped from their homes and only could take with them what they could carry into hand. Mm-hmm. And my father clearly thought that the government was wrong, and why should he go to a prison camp when he had done nothing that was against the law? And And no one even had their day in court, there were no charges, there were no hearings, no access to attorneys. And this was clearly a a violation of our civil rights. But what was so appalling was the inhumanity of of the way that people were were treated. And first they were sent to uh, racetracks where there was horse stalls and smelling like manure. And uh, then they were sent to uh, 10 more uh, built barracks across this country in barren land and and inhumane kind of conditions there. Yeah. And even I, I cried because of, of when I learned that, uh, thinking about my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, because, you know, the latrines, there was no privacy, no stall uh, partitions, and women had to go and 
in uh, the middle of the night, you know, to these latrines because they were so embarrassed. And it just it stripped their dignity. So yeah. the the inhumanity was was certainly prevalent. And my father was ostracized for taking a stand against the government from his own Japanese American community. And he kept speaking out the rest of his life against violation of others' mm-hmm. uh, civil rights, worked across communities and stood up for Muslim Americans and Arab Americans. And he would totally be so disgusted with what's, what's happening that now. We're, that we're still here. Asian violence. Yeah. yeah. So, Sanyan, in the short time that we have left, where do we go from here? What, what kind of action would you like to see from the Biden administration um, for support? And, and how can we help these communities? Yeah, I want to start with your listeners. I think what's really important is that we have a moment to really recognize how Asian Americans have been objectified and discriminated in this country and always othered. And, you know, many of us might think that we don't participate in that, but we do in small ways, too. The way, you know, we objectify and want to have experiences of Asian heritages and cultures Mm -hmm. and Halloween costumes and the way we do makeup and the kind of music we listen to and how they portray, especially Asian American women. I think we really need to be critical about how we passively participate in what caused harm to Asian American communities. So I'll start there. And with the Biden administration, you know, we want investment in our communities because often we are invisibilized, even in from a government standpoint, because Mm -hmm. often our population numbers aren't big enough. And so we get lost in the data. And so they need to oversample. They need to be able to disaggregate our data so they can really understand what is really happening in our community so that the support can be there and the data is there to, you know, support the case that they need to make. We'll have to leave it there. That's Sanyan Choi Moro with the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum and Karen Korematsu of the Fred T. Korematsu Institute. Sanyan and Karen, thanks so much for your time. And that's today's Reset for more conversations about our friends, our neighbors, and how we make our city a better place to live. Join us right here in this space, Monday through Friday. And give us a quick rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for being here. We'll meet again tomorrow. Tomorrow.